0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This is the Gator Nation football podcast powered by Campus Insiders with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVergilio.
0: Now we know we're just a bunch of average
2: stiffs.
1: Welcome to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm your host, James DiVirgilio, alongside Alan Williams. We are going to analyze the spring game for you. We're going to give you content that you can't get anywhere else. As always, if you like the show, click the like button on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or send us feedback. We love hearing from you. And Alan, let's jump right into your overall impressions. You were at the spring game. I was not. I was in Chicago I know that the attendance was large. It was larger than last year's game. How did it feel at the game, another Friday night spectacle? It was great. I love it on Friday night.
0: Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.
3: Uh, the weather was great. The crowd was nice. I don't know if there's really 48,000 there. That feels like an inflated statistic to me. But still, a lot of people there. It was really fun. Uh, so, great job by the University of the Athletics. So, she's moved that to Friday night, make a big event out of
1: it. Uh, it was far superior than having it on a hot Saturday in Florida. How did the crowd feel? Was there any energy when I was watching it on television? You have no clue. And I've been at plenty of spring games. Does the Friday night atmosphere under the lights do anything to bring up the energy level as opposed to a Saturday at noon game?
3: Uh, not really. I mean, people are observing, there's a little cheering, uh, but there's obviously no stakes. And it, it, the way they conduct it, it really is like a practice. And it's so. Um, I don't know, scripted, that there's no real suspense at all. And so, I don't know. Uh, James, let's jump in. Overall impressions. How did you feel about the Gators during this game?
1: It went exactly like I felt like a spring game would typically go, which we talked about a lot last week. Uh, You don't learn a whole lot about most position groups, although I think I did. I feel like I learned quite a bit about the quarterbacks, which I know we're going to spend most of this episode talking about. But outside of that, uh, I think the game displayed we had some more depth. That was obvious. We have depth at more positions. Uh, even though we're missing a lot of our freshmen that we'll be counting on, we were at least able to play a game, which was nice. You know, We've had previous years, but it's not been the case, especially on the offensive line. I think that was evident. Uh, outside of that, it, it went like I think most spring games go. I guess one thing I will note, and Steve Spurrier noted this, which is definitely true, we absolutely allowed the defenses to be relatively creative on defense. They were switching up their front sometimes. They were stunting. Uh, they weren't blitzing, but they were they were playing an abnormal spring game defense uh, as per what a lot of other schools would do. So it wasn't like McWayne was just trying to score 100 points in this game. Uh, they were they were bringing it quite a bit more. And this is interesting because you have to put all this in context here. The
3: structure of this game is the the first team offense versus the second team defense, and therefore the second team offense going against the first team defense. So it's a little bit lopsided and they did this last year too. Um, what do you think about that? Would you rather see the first team O going against the first team D?
1: I would rather see that. Yes. I think the the observation point for me is that there is a huge difference right now on our roster between the first and second team. And Especially it's something yeah, something that McElwain talks about that we need more depth and we have to address the gaps in our roster, which he's been working on doing. They feel like this class in particular that's coming in is going to do a lot for that. And it's evident that that there is a huge gap. Which is which is not good. Playing in the SEC, you don't want to see such a gap between your first and second teamers. We're working to get to get rid of that essentially. I think that's my big take home point from it. I don't like the structure. I would like to see the ones go against the ones. I like a little bit more of competition, but I think McElwain's sort of blending the the very old-school spring game philosophy that Spurrier would embody, which is that it's a glorified arena league football game, and McElwain's in between that, where it's like, well, let's play some real defense, but let's also prop up our guys and make sure they get what they need to get done. I would like to see as a fan, and also just in general, a more competitive environment, but that's happening behind closed doors in practice. So this really is an exhibition for the fans. You have to really treat it as such. So as a fan, I like to see the ones, but I understand why they do it because in practice that's happening quite frequently. And you're
3: right. It felt very similar to last year and that how scripted it was to make our first team quarterback look successful. So last year we saw Del Rio look excellent against the second team defense, just like Frank's, um, you know, performed admirably against the second team defense. It was scripted for them to be successful. So that's why it has a feel of inevitability. I guess the best thing you could say is that nothing disastrous happened. No one looked really bad. There were no bad injuries. So in that front, it checks a lot of the boxes. Let's jump in and talk about each of these quarterbacks, though, because that's the storyline of the spring game, especially at this point for the program. Our big unanswered question mark as a team is who's the quarterback going to be. So let's start with the guy who played with the first-team offense the entire time he was out there. So uh, we can talk about what that means, but the headliner here, Felipe Franks, what was your opinion of him from Friday night?
1: Uh, Certainly I was feeling a lot better about him than I felt about what I saw last year. He's made a tremendous improvement from last year to this year. With that being said, and in this very small sample size, I think he started off the game. He he throws a very nice ball Mm -hmm. when he feels confident where he's going with the ball. It's a, it's a, it's a good hard spiral. Uh, he early on only threw to first reads, which as I watched the first quarter, I thought to myself, oh, this is interesting. I hope he pulls off his first read. And as he progressed into the second quarter, he actually had multiple possessions where he checked down correctly. And I thought his best possession of the game was when he had read uh, high to low to check down and then ran forward out of the pocket, which is great because that indicates that he's understanding what the coaches want him to do, which is you're going to make two reads, a check down read, and you're done. Don't try to be a hero. Don't move around. Don't try to buy time. That's not your job. I thought that was that was nice for me to see that. I think that's showing his progress under the system. Uh, so that was really nice. I think he lacks touch. He, he's an overthrower right now. He has such a strong arm, and this is consistent. You know, we've had guys like this in the past. Doug Johnson comes to mind. Such a strong arm. Uh, that the touch passes, throwing to grass, throwing to a window, probably to the running yeah, back of the backfield. Yes, probably him. not quite there for him yet. I think it will be there. I think he can get there. But he very much looks the part of a guy who's been in the system for a little bit of time. Uh, is raw experience wise has a lot of tools. He displayed good command of the offense, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. He understood the plays that he was running. He understood the looks he was supposed to make. Didn't I look thought, overly confused. No, I thought his pocket presence was nice. Uh, he didn't display all the tools a Will Greer put on display in his, his spring game. I don't think he has all those throws that Will has. Doesn't mean he can't get there. But overall for him, I felt like he had a good performance in a spring game. It's something to build off of. Uh, I think that he is showing he has learned a lot. And that, to me, is what you want a spring game to illustrate. And I think it did illustrate that. He is infinitely further ahead this year where he was last year, which should seem obvious, but that does not always happen with quarterbacks.
3: So certainly progress, and that's encouraging. And you look at him just when he walks on the field. The dude is huge. He's 6'6", all of that, I think. You know, starting to fill out his frame, certainly from where he was a year ago. And he has a confidence about him, seemingly, when he steps on the field, at least what we can see in this kind of limited environment. And the one throw in particular, the 46 yard pass to Hammond on the sideline, a beautiful ball, spins really tightly, comes out of his hand clean, right on target. I mean, and it looked easy to him too. Wasn't like he had to like gear up to throw that. He freaking put it on the money, receiver in stride. So you look at that throw and you say, That's if we can get that in this offense, we'll be incredibly dangerous. And that's the that's the dream for him. Who knows whether he can do all the things you want him to do? But that's when you look at him and you say, if we can get that out of him, our offense could be excellent. And why I think provokes so much hope in people because he can make those type of throws. All right, let me ask you a question. Uh, he played you know, with the first-team offense. There's been rumors that he's distanced himself from the other guys in the spring. Does this solidify for you, at least th- at this point, that he's clearly the starter?
1: Because of just how McElwain handled him in the spring game? I mean, he's certainly the starter in the eyes of McIlwain going into the summer. But the summer is a different circumstance. And if, look, I don't know what the percentage number is, but it's high between the, the QB that's the starter in the spring and the QB that's the starter in the fall of any program. It is high. It, it does mean something. It certainly means that they think Franks has displayed more at this point in time to earn that mantle where you have to kind of knock him off of it. Uh, but summer two-a-days are going to really be where someone wins or loses this competition. And you can make up a lot of ground in between that time. Uh, It's just a different level of competition in the summer versus the spring. So I don't want to anoint him yet as a starter, but I think to answer your question, like you mentioned, it's clear to me that McIlwain and the staff, they think that he is certainly well ahead of everyone else. They're not going to say that. They're going to say it's open. Uh, And we're going to talk about some, some possible alternative routes that may occur between now and then that might mm-hmm. change the way that feels but right now at this point i'm mean, the information that we have it seems like he's the guy that's in the lead my comfort level with him being in the lead given what i've seen from luke del Rio and from the other guys feels fine to me i don't feel like frank's is a guy from what i've seen right now that's going to go light the world on fire right away i think he's a guy that's going to have some 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 variability to his performances i think yeah. he's going to have some highs and some lows and that's kind of the guy he's going to be and it's going to be tough for us to figure out really in one or two games how he is. I think just like we always talk about on this podcast, five or six games into next season, if Franks has been the starter the whole time, I think I'll have a really good idea of what kind of guy he can be. Uh, But until then you just don't know. But I think what you see is something that you can be confident. You can, you can build on given the resources we have. Yeah. Someone asked me, uh, did he pass the test for you? And I was like, well, let me
3: put that into a little bit of a context there you know i don't like you said we can't make any real judgments on him right now because that we'll have to wait to the season to do that if he is the starter but he did what i wanted him to do at least the baseline you know like make all make some good throws look pretty decent out there i wasn't expecting him to light the world on fire and if he had i don't know how seriously i could take that but he at least cleared this hurdle on his route to becoming the starting QB I assume you would agree with that
1: yeah that's well said that's well said he he looks better than what we've had here not named Will Greer in the past couple of years and that's a reason for encouragement and hope for sure all right let's move to the other guy Kyle
3: Trask if I'm familiar with him the other guy in this QB derby at least at this point um, another guy with a big arm decent size he played most of his time out there with the second team offense what was your
1: impressions of him he didn't really have a fair shot, I felt like. Uh, he had almost no time to throw the ball, the receiving court that he had, if it wasn't, if he wasn't fortunate enough to have one of the starting receivers. Sometimes with him. two walk-ons out He there. had walk-ons running around against the number one team defense. It was really unfair. I, I mean, I'm sure if I'm him, I'm frustrated, because I don't really think it matters who you put back there. Good things were not going to happen. No, no one was open. Uh, the, the plays themselves were bland. Uh, Zuniga was running past whoever they put in front of him immediately. So I, I felt for him in the first half, and I think this the the one ball that he threw, which is a really bad ball, he threw it right to Marcel Harris, was a product of the fact that the guy just never had time to do anything, and when he actually had a second to throw the ball, he just forced it in a seam route. So basically, I'm I'm passing no judgment on Kyle Trask for the first half. I think it would be unwise to do anything other than that. Really the quarterback is a spot that's dependent upon your other players in the team. You can't just do it by yourself and I'm going to give him a total pass for the first half. The second half provides some better analysis for me. I think Trash's footwork is pretty good. The ball does not always come out as cleanly out of his hand as it does at a Frank's sandwich. Something that I noticed uh, he, he has more touch than I think Frank's has for sure. He's willing to throw a touch pass into space. He certainly does not have the, the velocity that uh that franks has although he throws a good ball he throws a hard ball but too small of a sample size in the second half when the game was sort of over for me to really make any conclusions on him i think my observation that i would want you guys in the audience to really know is that don't think trask is bad because of what you saw in this game that is not true what he displayed in that game i do not think at all is what he's capable of I think it was a bad situation. Uh, didn't didn't have much he could really do. I would not look at him and think, "Oh my gosh, we have a terrible backup." I, that's not how I'd view that. Agreed, a hundred percent. I
3: mean, there I've seen some people want him basically to write him off out of this competition, and you know, it's clear the staff, like we said, probably views Franks as a starter and they're treating him as such. But it was impossible. I mean, I don't even if you put you know Aaron Rodgers back there, I don't think anything is happening for him. When he got, he did have one series. I believe just one, possibly two, with the starters on offense, and he looked confident and capable. He made some nice checkdowns, uh, a couple good balls. I mean, nothing spectacular, but it didn't look like a shell of a quarterback like he looked in the first half. Are you surprised that they didn't rot- rotate them a little bit more to give Trask a few, like you know, swap the series between them if it's a real
1: competition? Yeah, isn't that a great question? If it's a real competition, I think we've we've known. Now, as we've reiterated this every single year, McIlwain is like a is, is like a circus ringmaster. And he he certainly thinks he's smarter than he really is from where I sit and that he can pull these puppet strings and no one knows what he's doing. But he's just propping up his guy. I don't like it. I, I'm more from the school of competition. I think you let those guys go at each other. Ones versus ones, equal time. Let them fight a little bit about it and, and be OK if Trask wildly outplays Franks, like live with that result. And McIlwain is unwilling to do it. And I think in this scenario, I have a hard time believing anything other than he wanted this situation to be very different. And I think it's indicative of the fact that Franks doesn't even play in the second half in a spring game. Why? Because Franks had a good first half. So you don't want to play him anymore because you don't want him to throw a pick. You want the narrative to be, oh, Franks looks good. And I just I just think that stuff's stupid. I think that that's really an old-school showmanship move. I think it's unnecessary. Um I'm not saying it's bad. I just don't like it. So you asked me the question. I would like to have seen them split time, go against the ones equally, have a little bit of real competition out there. McElwain obviously sees it very differently. And, uh, you know, that's the way, the way it played out. Yeah. This is more a dress rehearsal than an actual competition moment,
3: which was, I think at the, you know, if you have an established quarterback, whatever, run them against the twos, let them look good, build some confidence, but you're trying to see which one of these guys is better. And, He's you're right, he's playing the, I guess, the management of expectations game. And you know, you saw him when he would shield criticism from Treon, trying to keep him in the fold, I guess, by saying it was a competition because he knew he was so thin at quarterback. While it was between him and Greer when clearly Greer was better, you know, I think shielding Del Rio from some criticism by making him look good in the spring. So, you're right. If that's your goal in the spring game, if you're basically like, I'm going to put on a display for the fans and say, I'm going to give you a peek at what I think our program is. Then he accomplished that. But if you wanted to use it as a data point for, let's see how these guys handle the pressure of playing in front of people. Let's see how they compete. Cause this is the most like a game we can simulate. It's on TV. There are fans. People are watching. Then that that's not what that was. And I'm, you know what? That's okay. If if Franks is clearly better than Trask and you want to like kind of instill that, then that's what you accomplished. If you're trying to create competition, that's not what you accomplished. Um, so yes, if you don't write Kyle Trask off yet, he might very well be way behind, but I wouldn't take that from the spring game. Okay, let's talk about the third guy who played at quarterback. I guess there was a couple, one guy who played like two snaps, we'll walk on I'm number 42, not sure who he was. Um... Kadarius Tony, who last week, if you heard on the podcast, if you listened last week, was getting a lot of hype as someone, from someone who was observing practice. And you saw some of that when this guy has the ball in his hands. You know,
1: looked pretty shifty, pretty impressive. What were your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think your practice report from your inside guy was, was right on the money. I mean, everything he said was right. I think what I actually noticed the most is how much his teammates seemed to like him. That really stood out to me. I mean, anytime he did anything, he had a lot of the veteran guys on both the first and second string coming over to him, smiling with him, embracing him at the end of the game. A bunch of guys ran over to him and gave him a lot of a lot of congratulations and kudos. That is a good thing for this football team to have. It's good to see the older guys supporting the new guys like that as well. So I probably picked up on that the most, of course, as raw athleticism, very quick guy, a very explosive guy certainly in the mold of, of, a, of a elite athlete uh, like the likes we haven't really seen in the backfield in a while a guy that can really hit a home run and make people miss i'm sure we'll try to find ways to use him like we mentioned last week as a thrower what you expected very limited very high school based uh, arm and look a lot of out of the pocket stuff i can't imagine a world in which he ends up on the depth chart as a quarterback I just do not see it. I do see him absolutely running red zone packages. I can see a lot of stuff in the 20s where we're going to use him as a threat, uh, either lined up as the quarterback receiving the snap or even a running back back there. Uh, But I think that will happen. I think that probably should happen. I think that's a good thing to do. We saw Urban use Percy that way, and it works really well. It works very well in the college football game to do that. He's a guy that gives that ability, uh, and, and certainly he can make people miss, you know, we don't really know how good he is yet. Cause again, he's running against a lot of times. Uh, he was against the second teamer, you know, I think every time he played, no, he played against the maybe, first maybe team the a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he, he did, he did some nice things. He, he certainly showed explosiveness back there. And I think he's, he's in the mold of, a. we haven't seen Dre Massey, but we've heard about Dre Massey as a guy that's similar to that. Very shifty, very elusive, very, uh, home run threadish. And now you've got Callaway, you've got Cleveland, you've got Massey, and uh, you have Tony potentially back there. And those guys are all home run threats. So we've gone from a team with zero home run threats, potentially four guys that could touch the ball and really do some things with it. So that was exciting for me. What were your thoughts on him? Yeah, I agree.
3: As advertised on the pod. And it's fun having him back there. I mean, I think people will remember this game, if they remember it all, as Kadarius Tony's like coming out party. And I would, after watching him and watching the way the coaches used him, I would be shocked if he didn't see time in the fall. Like I said, in some kind of package where you know, it's a lot of recalls. you put him in the backfield, you hand him the ball in like a either a wildcat or let him take the ball as a wildcat because he can throw. He's a quarterback. He's not gonna be like you know dropping back and you know throwing darts over the place, but he can throw the ball to an open wide receiver. And yeah, that's something you have to prep for. You put that on film a couple times. The defense has to honor that. Our run game looked really dangerous when he's back there because you don't know what he's gonna do. So for a couple plays a game, I, it could be really, really effective. Change of pace, give them something else to think about. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, a year from now, if he's on the quarterback depth chart, that would be shocking. Almost no chance of that. So Kadiris Tony, really fun guy. If you're hoping
1: that he's going to be the quarterback in the fall, I wouldn't get your hopes up there. So let's transition to the running backs now. You look at a spring game and say quarterbacks, they're your feature, and certainly your, your second co-headliner almost are your running backs they're they're really getting a chance to play and play hard uh, for most of these plays what did you think of them as a group well scarlet looked like his normal scarlet self uh almost
3: every time we ran the ball i wanted to just say just throw the ball every time because i already know what i've got in jordan scarlet and the michael p ryan those guys are good i assume we're going to be able to run the ball with some kind of success in the fall so I was just, you know, since I was so looking at the quarterbacks, I was almost like, I don't want to see any running plays. But you need to practice that as well, give those guys a chance to show out in the spring game. Yeah, I mean, excellence, but
1: that's what I would expect from them. What about you? Yeah, I thought, obviously, Jordan Scarlett continues to show that he he's really, really good. I think he's one of the best backs in the SEC that most people don't give any credit to right now because our run game was so bad last year statistically in the SEC, which was due to the offensive line. Mm-hmm. I think any, any you know, self-respecting Gator fan knows that. Mark Thompson fumbled the ball again, again early on. No one touches him. He drops the ball. He fumbled the ball later on one that hit the ground when he was being tackled, which doesn't count as a fumble, but that cannot be encouraging. So my observations of the day are just like you said. I know exactly what I get from uh, Scarlett and Piranha. I like what I get from those two. And Mark Thompson continues to be a guy that has not even remotely lived up to the hype that was here for him. I mean, he was a guy, people said, this guy's like Derrick Henry and this guy's like, you know, pick your favorite large runner. And I recall on this very podcast, you and I said, the only problem with Mark Thompson is he hasn't played against anybody. He played in a tiny Juco, but he was the biggest guy by far. And I'm just not sure he's really made the adjustment to this level yet. It would be nice if he did that. I'm not sure he's going to. I'm, I'm starting to think if I'm a coach, I really can't trust him and his carries might be three or four a game uh, until he can prove otherwise. So just like you said, though, Scarlet Piedmont, very, very, very good. And that's exciting news. And then of course we have a, we have a freshman coming in that should also be exciting to add to the mix here in the uh, summer.
3: Yeah. And with Thompson, you know, the one time he looks the best is when they throw him a screen pass on from the second team offense against the first team defense. And he does what he did in the bowl game a little bit. That could be a place for him, you know, cause he does catch the ball reasonably well. And without Jordan Cronkright on the team, who probably was our best receiver out of the backfield last year, uh, you could see him in third down uh, You know, if he proves capable in blitz pickup, where I don't think that P. Ryan and Scarlet really shine. So that could be a place where you see him on the field. Um, but yeah, when you compare him to Scarlett, uh, he's not in the same league as him right now, and I, I would expect the same moving forward. Uh, anybody else on offense
1: that you want to note? Callaway caught a corner out. Uh, I thought the tight ends looked somewhat involved, but you know, no, it's not It's not a game for those guys to stand out. Mm-mm. As we said, it's really I, not.
3: I wanted to see Cleveland do something awesome. Uh, the guy who we mentioned, Kenmore Gamble or Kenmore Gamble, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name because that's the PA dress guy I was calling him Kenmore. That might be right. He's huge already. Big guy for a, a freshman early enrollee. They threw to him a couple times. So that kind of fits in with what we mentioned I. You know, I'd be surprised if he doesn't get looks in the fall, if he continues to emerge. Um, yeah, so, no, but you're right. Nothing really. Calais Hurdle's a guy. That was kind of fun. Yeah. Also stupid. Don't do that in the spring game because you might get hurt. But I think he enjoyed it, so I right.
1: guess. Yeah, fun. it's going to be really exciting to watch our first game with, with our offense and the weapons we have, though. I will say that. That was not on display in the spring game, but it should be in game number one against Michigan. Let's look at the defense then. Spring game is not about defense. I mean, really not at all. There's not much you can do to even get any excitement on defense in the spring game, except we kind of had some. I know there's a couple guys here on your stat sheet that are circled. Uh, Tell me who impressed you on the defensive side of the ball. Well, you mentioned Ari Zuniga flashing.
3: Antonius Clayton is a guy, former five-star recruit, who we need to provide some pass rush in the fall. He's gained a lot. More weight. He can't. I think he can't. Showed up at around two fifteen. He's probably closer to two fifty right now. So that's important. And then Jeremiah Moon, like probably the highest rated linebacker we have on our team. Most of our guys are three stars. He's a four star guy. Didn't really play last year because he hurt his hand. He's a big dude, rangy. Had a real nice hit on somebody. Um, that's great if we can have another guy that we feel really confident a linebacker. Another big athletic. Dude, Um,
1: what about you? Anybody else? I found myself, I really like watching our linebackers. And that's probably because Voshan Joseph's playing there and he Mm -hmm. just plays another level. But I think the way that Randy Shannon has, and this happened last year too. This is not like a changeover from Jeff Collins to Randy Shannon. But I like how athletic our linebackers are. They're fun to watch. They're going to make mistakes, but they can do some things. They really can. And we ran a lot of 4-3. And indicating that, which we did not run hardly at all last year. So if there's any tip to the future at all, we'll yeah, probably run less more four three, which is on which is on purpose. Nickel was sort of because we had to. Uh, I my observation on defense, aside from the fact that our D line crushed our secondary offensive line, was that I definitely felt myself being like, I do not like Duke Dawson at corner. Like maybe it's just horrors of the Tennessee game or other games where he's gotten beat, but I would just find myself looking at him and thinking oh man, I'm not comfortable with that. And then thinking to myself in the SEC, oh, I really don't want to see that. And that was probably my takeaway on defense, is I have zero trust in Duke Dawson being an edge corner. That worries me, and he didn't really do anything in the sprint game to indicate that he shouldn't be there, but that's just my own feeling looking at him. I'm like, oh, I'm uncomfortable about that.
3: I know. Is that our fear, just because that is a fear in the vacuum? That's also a little bit maybe our fear of our insider after watching him. He's not built like a typical corner. He's He's closer to a safety, and that's why he does well in the slot where he can cover running backs and linebackers and bigger guys, and that's why he excels in that spot. I mean, I don't want to count him out. The dude's talented, and, you know, he does some things well. But you're right, that that may, makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, any other Highlights? people to mention the spring game. I thought
1: Eddie Pinero just smashing a 50-yarder off the top of the uprights at 100 miles an hour was a highlight. I mean, that guy has an incredible leg. Like, <laughs> no one gets excited watching a kicker, but you watch enough kickers in the course of your life as a football fan, and you have to recognize that when someone is it's hitting special. a football that hard, that far away, is it's crazy. I mean, even in the league, guys will kick at 65, 70 yards, but the velocity that he puts on the ball is really, truly something. And he's just at the very beginning of, of his skill building. Mm-hmm. He has so much more to go with regards to getting early lift and getting a smoother flight pattern. And it's like, he just hammers the ball. So I kind of get a little smile on my face every time I watch that thing stoink off the uprights from 50 yards away as though he's kicking it from an extra point distance. It is definitely something to see. Yeah, our specialists are special.
3: Townsend crushes upon. him Of course, you just expect that kind of stuff from these guys now. Uh, the, cha- the crowd's still chanting Eddie. I-, I don't know if that'll hold over in the fall, but He's so beloved.
1: I mean, maybe because we were just so traumatized from a previous kicker. And my main highlight that I have to mention, of course, is that Voshan Joseph got a pick, which, again, number one fanboy of Voshan Joseph is is James. Uh, I can't get enough of that guy, really. He picks it off, and then, of course, he tries to run over the receiver, which just, that's why I love that guy. He could have easily put a juke on. No, no, no. He is trying to crush him (laughs) into next week. I mean, I don't know how you don't love that, but uh, just fantastic stuff from him. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's a guy we're going to be looking at
3: in the fall and hoping for big things. And I, I'm I'm imagining we're going to see some huge highlights and some like, oh, no, what did you do right there? All right, let's talk about this. So some off-season storylines. Interesting quotes from people, both during the broadcast and after the game, mentioning two guys uh, in the quarterback situation. So a quote from Danny Werfel, um, you know, Gator's a legendary quarterback. He's got a statue of himself out there. Mentioning, hey, don't count out Luke Del Rio. He's not out of the competition yet. And, you know, on the broadcast, I know that that was made clear. And then also discussions of Malik Zaire, former Notre Dame transfer. Can he play at Florida? There's been back and forth on whether we're even allowed to take him as a a grad transfer. Let's start with Luke Del Rio. Were you surprised by the comments that, hey, don't
1: count him out? I'm a little bit surprised with the, the Daniel Warfel comment and Chris Dorning super high on him as well. I'm not surprised when some Joe Mo announcer says that because that's a classic announcer move. Oh, this guy played, he was five and one before he got hurt. Blah, 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 blah. It's continually surprising to me to see the love that Luke Rio gets from former players. And I, and part of me thinks he's a really sharp guy. I'm sure if I went and talked to him, I'd be really impressed. And I, I can't help, but think that's not what's coloring some of their perception. He still has a mythical shoulder injury, which has never been released, which to me is incredibly curious. I've been on this the whole time. Just really curious me they didn't release what that was. We've heard it was his throwing shoulder, then it wasn't his throwing shoulder. And, you know, to me, he just doesn't have it. He doesn't have the velocity to play at this level. I can't – a world where he wins the quarterback competition is a bad world for me and the Gators because if Franks cannot beat him out at 6'6", uh, the top five pocket passer coming out of school, beating on a walk-on guy who doesn't have the arm talent, doesn't have the size, doesn't have the strength, already got his shot, that would be a sad moment for me. But I think Luke D'Areal fits very, very capably into the into the category of an NFL backup quarterback on a college team. So he's not going to play backup quarterback in the NFL, but he's a great guy to come in and manage a game for a game plan on a one or two game basis. Be safe with the ball, don't make dumb decisions. I think he's great for that. But I was surprised, very surprised, to see how adamant guys like Doring and Warful War that, that Del Rio is going to be a factor in this competition. That that did surprise me. Did it surprise you? Yeah. I mean, because it feels like the program has moved on. And, you know, we saw what you
3: can do. And you're right. He was hurt and, you know, both a leg injury and then various shoulder ailments. So I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I would say he has the highest floor like we've seen him be somewhat competent and win some games but his ceiling is so significantly lower than probably either Trask or Franks um that i don't know it feels like treading water to play him and if you want the program to move forward i feel like you have to play one of those guys and so i would be shocked if he was the starter it it would be a bad sign it would mean that these guys haven't made the headway that we want them to and you know, you're right. I mean, I would expect them to keep Luke Del Rio's name in the competition just to keep him engaged. And so, you know what? I bet if, if Franks is a starter and he gets, you know, his bell rung in the second half, I would I would think you would see Del Rio before Trask. So I wouldn't surprised, be surprised to see him in the backup. And then maybe if, if Franks is out for the whole season, then maybe you would see Trask rather than, uh, or Jake Allen rather than. Luke Del Rio, but he'll still be in the mix. And so you'll hear his name, even if he's not a real factor. So it'll be hard. You'll have to like maybe read between the lines a little bit with that. Uh, I don't know. All right, let's, let's turn to Malik Zaire. This is, if, if someone were to come to fruition with this, this would be the storyline of the summer. As we're moving into the summer here, I think we've got to at least talk about that. Let me ask you, what
1: odds would you put on him actually landing here? It was going to be pretty low because, as you mentioned, there's a graduate transfer rule where if you take on a graduate transfer player and they do not finish their academic curriculum at the school, you are on a three-year essential probation from picking up a graduate transfer player. This is only an SEC rule. This is not a rule in any other conference. So the SEC has been getting a lot of pressure from the coaches to get rid of this rule and or at least amend it to a one-year suspension. If that is the case that would mean that we would be eligible to pick up Zaire uh, and we could pick him up as soon as maybe May. What's going on right now is Zaire has said he wants to make his decision before May. And so a lot of people think maybe he goes to Wisconsin, maybe Miami is a spot where he'll land. But it's it's seemingly known that he would prefer to come here. That seems to be the reason why he's waited so long to make his decision. Uh, and, and I, as I mentioned last year, I picked up Applebee. I think it's great that McIlwain wants a quarterback competition in camp. I think that's really healthy. I think it's really important. I think that's an NFL mindset. Bring more veteran guys in to compete with your young guys. I like that. I'm not high on Zaire. I don't think that Zaire is a guy that even fits McIlwain's system, per se, all that well. But look, you take a veteran guy that's got a lot of game experience, who is an athlete, and he brings something to the quarterback room. And it certainly worked out with Appleby, who got us a bowl game win and got us an LSU win. And we said the same thing on this very podcast last year. We mentioned Appleby and said, hey, this is great that we have this guy. So if we get him, like you said, it will be the largest news in college football with regards to a graduate transfer because there's really nothing happening between now and, and summer practice. So it will be big news. If it will happen, I don't know. We'll know in the next couple of weeks, most likely. Uh, I do not think McIlwain's trying to get him to be a starter. So for those Gator fans that are out there thinking, oh man, is going to come to win the job, that seems like a really sort of extreme uh, outlier to me. I think Zaire might think he can come in and win the job. But I think in reality, McElwain is probably thinking Franks this guy. So I would like to see it happen. i like more competition. It gives you more buys to that position. Uh, If it's going to happen, I don't really know. But that would give us essentially a Del Rio, Trask, Franks, Zaire competition. That's a good – you think of the names we've been throwing around here in this program for the past eight years. It would be really nice to have those four guys as your quarterback competition. So we shall see – But McIlwain's continue activity in the grad transfer market and the transfer market encourages me because it continues to show, like we said, he understands that you have to have enough bullets in your proverbial gun to be able to find the right one. Mm -hmm. And and I like that commitment.
3: And quarterback's interesting though, because it's not like taking another offensive lineman or another running back. You're only really going to want to play one guy. And I agree that the competition is good. Although if it derails your future guy at the position, there's a certain risk reward with that, right? Um, and you never know your preferred guy could get hurt. That's why you know we talked about Applebee for a lot of reasons. One of them was insurance pos- policy. So I'm with you. I think overall it, it would be a good idea. I do wonder if you if you want Frank's to be your guy, does that I don't know? Does that derail him a little bit? Potentially. Now you want your quarterback to be mentally tough enough that. Wouldn't matter. So overall, it's probably a plus, Um, but you're right. If you go and watch Malik Zaire games in Notre Dame, he's a decent quarterback, great athlete. In terms of McIlwain system, like you said, he's not a guy who's like a, you slot him in and he, Oh man, this is the perfect guy for this offense. If we got him, it would be huge. I wouldn't expect him to be the starter either. So I don't think this if you're not impressed with Franks or Trask, the Savior's not out there in Malik Zaire, Even if we get him, that'll be something to watch for. All right. Lastly, we're heading into the summer. What what happens with a football team? You know, close spring practice with the, with the spring game. The first official stuff will be
1: right before the fall semester, and like you said, summer two days. What is happening between now and then? Really, this is where most coaches will tell you this is the most important time of the season for the team. It's a chance for the guys to bond. They're going to spend nearly every single day with the strength and conditioning coach and coaches and with each other. Uh, they will not spend time at all with the head coach, and that's so, NCAA mandated. Correct. So McElwain will really have no influence in their life. All of his influence will come through what he's mandating through the strength coaches. So, strength coaches get paid a lot of money, not because they're teaching these guys to be really strong. That's kind of a commodity nowadays. It's because they're good at getting the team to gel together.
3: Yeah, they're and, like they're basically the captain of the team during the summer. They're
1: keeping them in line, motivated. Right. An important guy in the program for sure. Right. And coupled with that is the nutrition goals. So each of these players is going to have a goal to gain or lose X amount of weight, be it a certain body fat, be it a certain playing shape when they get into summer two a days, uh, that's the goal. And so uh, really a lot of important work is done now. And urban will talk a lot about this. And that's why he likes Mickey Mariotti so much is that you have to gel this team so that when the coach gets them in summer two a days, they like each other, they're competitive, they're stronger than they were before and they met their goals. So even though it's quiet for a fan, really really important work will be done here in the next couple of months with this football team that will go a long way towards shaping their identity uh, when it comes to actually playing football in September.
3: Yeah. Agreed. And this is the below the line stuff that really makes or breaks programs. Do guys develop or do they stay static? Do they gain weight? Also, you don't want to see anybody showing up on the police blotter. That's a sign of a program that isn't taking steps in the right direction Um, That's the thing that's going to hurt you the most Is getting guys ineligible to play or getting in trouble So you want to keep them out of trouble During like kind of the low activity summer And you want them to make physical gains As well as relational gains Like you said Uh, So an important time even though we won't have any real insight Or what's happening, it's all rumors and hearsay Usually everybody has a great summer Everybody's been working as hard as they ever have You know We had the best camp ever You'll hear that from every program coming into the fall But it is crucial To have a good summer that's why your coaches talked that up. Uh, anything else, James? Any other thoughts from the spring game into the summer?
1: No, but hopefully you guys have enjoyed our spring content. Uh, you know, we, we've had. I feel like for Alan and I, we've had a really great time covering the recruiting, the bowl game, post-bowl game coverage, as well as post-recruiting coverage. Now the spring game, uh, we try to bring you content that is not available in the normal media. And so hopefully when you're done listening to this pod and you go about your day, you think, hey, I got some things I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And then that's what brings Alan and I a lot of satisfaction, aside from just the joy of learning it ourselves. We really like it when you guys get something you wouldn't get otherwise. And as we head into the summertime, you know, our plan for the next pod really won't be until... July probably we'll, do, we'll do SEC media days we'll do a sort of uh, college football preview uh, and so we go on a, <clears throat> a quiet little break until then but <clears throat> as my voice leaves me which is a good sign for the end of a season uh, those those are where my thoughts are a successful podcasting season a successful Gator football season and this season is going to be I think a fascinating one because it, it's really going to be a measuring stick for how we as fans feel about the direction of our program uh, we have a tough schedule. We have a great home schedule. So in a lot of ways, I can't wait uh, for us to get to break it down for you guys as we start 2017.
3: Yeah, this will be the most important season in the program's history under McElwain. I'll put that as a caveat. Um, yeah, because each season like kind of builds. And this is the season they need to take the next step, especially offensively. This so is going to be fascinating to watch. Well, let's end it there. It's been a fun spring. James, we'll see you in the summer.